Hello, this is Matt Vile. Please leave me a message. I think we should ski at this. Slope shattered underneath them. Propagated across the entire slope. Welcome to the Avalanche Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The Avalanche Hour Podcast is proudly presented by TAS Gazex, an avalanche of solutions. With additional support from Black Diamond and Peeps, live, ski, repeat, and 10 Barrel Brewing, here's to living it up with a beer in hand. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. Today, I bring you some bonus material. Since a large part of our mission is to share stories and learn throughout our community, I will be releasing a listener submission segment as I receive any from you all. Do you have a story of a close call or an accident in an avalanche? How about a story when you turned around in the backcountry because the hair on the back of your neck was standing straight up? Reach out to me through my website, www.theavalanchehour.com, and I will coach you through how to record and submit your story. I'll highlight them in our short story segments that I'm calling Slabs and Slough. Today's submission comes in the form of a phone interview from Matt Vile of Anchorage, Alaska. All right, good morning, Matt Vile. Matt's on the phone here from Anchorage, Alaska. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing great, Caleb. Thank you. Yeah, welcome to the show. I was hoping you could give a, a brief introduction to yourself and and your history within backcountry skiing and, and the guiding world. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm 41 years old. Um, I'm a general contractor here in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, I, I really started backcountry skiing in the Lake Tahoe area, um, where we lived for about 15 years before moving to Alaska. Um, Guiding wise, we were living in Lake Tahoe in the winter time, and then coming to Alaska for the summer, and guiding um, a variety of trips out in the Wrangell Saint Elias National Park. Um, anything from backpacking, uh, multi-day raft trips to climbing and skiing trips in the Wrangell and Saint Elias Mountains. Um, we started having kids about five years ago, and um, quickly realized that the that our migration between Lake Tahoe and Alaska was going to be more and more difficult and so um, about four years ago we made the decision to move to Alaska full-time and um, that's that's where we've been ever since yeah continued to uh, 
try to backcountry ski as much as I can here, but uh, obviously with the the demands on my time from my family and and work and, and those sorts of things, I I feel like I'm uh, not as in tune with it as I once was, but uh, still try to get out and, and I'm starting to get the kids out, which has been really fun. Yeah, awesome, Matt. How old are your kids? Uh, my oldest is going to turn six uh, this weekend, and then I've got a middle um, daughter who's four, and I've got a son who's a year and a half. Definitely have our hands full, um, but uh, the oldest two girls are have have taken to skiing, and it's, uh, it's starting to feel like some of the work is paying off. <laughs> so, Right. Fun to, fun to get them out. Yeah, we were up in Hatcher Pass last weekend skiing, which was a lot of fun. Oh, sweet. How's the, how's the weather yeah. been up there? Is snowpack shaping up a little bit? You know, it's it's starting to. I, I, I won't say we've had a ton of snow, um, but we've had a bit. Um, it's been cold. Um, people are out skiing it. Um, it feels a hair on the early side to me. Um, there's, there's not a ton of coverage, but, uh, yeah, it feels like it's right around the corner here and, uh, the, the Nordic skiing is definitely happening. Nice. So that's been a good outlet. Yeah. Yeah. So Matt, I was hoping you could share your, your story of a, a close call and a good reminder, um, from a few years back outside of Girdwood. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I guess um, just to put it in perspective, um, you know, when I when I was skiing in Lake Tahoe there, um, I think I fell probably into a little bit of complacency. Um, the snowpack there is genuinely pretty stable and um, and boring, and you know, it's very common to. Um, you know, go out for a, a ski trip, you know, you look at the forecast, um, meet up with your, your ski partners, you, you know, you put your beacons on, everybody makes sure they're on, you, you do a quick verbal check, you know, everybody got beacon shovel probe, and then you take off. And there, there might be some discussion about the avalanche conditions or, you know, how, how we're going to approach a certain ski objective, but I found it to be pretty casual um, because in the back of everyone's mind, they have this feeling that the snowpack is, is stable. And so um, coming to Alaska, you know, that was my, th- those were my habits. Um, I did know that they were my habits, so that was a good thing. And um, when I started guiding up here, I definitely um, realized that, that I needed to up my game and and tighten up the ship so to speak a little bit with with my practices um when we moved here full time um i i immediately started to try to get a feel for what the snowpack was here um all winter long and into the spring um i started subscribing to the avalanche forecast for the various various areas and you know, just started watching those every single day, watching the weather, trying to get a sense of what the factors were here. Um, 
and I also started to try to make connections and go out skiing with people that I felt were experienced in this area. Um, and it seemed like every time I went out, um, I, I just felt like, man, this is a whole different ball game here. Um, not only is it a, a huge area geographically, but the terrain is, is completely different and the, the little micro weather systems vary vastly across the forecast areas. And it's a, a completely different snowpack than what I was used to. Um, you've got everything from maritime snowpacks, you know, closer to the the water to continental snowpacks, you know, two hours away. And, um, yeah, I just quickly realized that, you know, where I thought that I kind of had some comfort in Alaska, um, in my springtime and summertime ski guiding, uh, wintertime seemed to be a whole different ballgame. Um, so that, that's sort of the, the mindset that I was going into, um, this day of skiing with, um, with my buddy, um, just, just one of, of reeling it back in and, uh, taking my time trying to assess where we were skiing and, and just making sure I was crossing my T's and dotting my I's. Um, so we we decided after looking at the forecast that we were going to head down um, the highway towards uh, Turnigan Pass, which uh, I'm sure you know is a really popular um, backcountry ski area close to Anchorage here. Mm-hmm. And we had checked the forecast that day and that area's forecast was was moderate so we felt like that was uh, a good start um we didn't know exactly where we were going we we just uh, decided to drive down the highway and see what was looking good and as we approached girdwood um my friend that i was with who's a, a very experienced backcountry skier here um said pointed to a peak that's right at the head of the girdwood valley called orca peak and said, um, hey, let's uh, let's let's take a look at this one. He said, there's some some shoots on the back side of it, and um, it could be fun today. So I I just uh, I went along with that, and um, what we decided to do was drive into Girdwood where we could actually see the shoots and um, see if we could get out the binoculars and take a look at them and. Uh, suss it out a little more so we did that we, we drove into downtown girdwood and we parked we got out the binoculars we, we looked at the shoots um you know from that distance we couldn't see any um, signs of natural avalanche activity um we didn't see any ski tracks coming down them but uh you know things looked like they were fine from there um we, we also pulled up the avalanche forecast one more time on our phone um, in the truck and, and read through it. And uh, I think the primary concern that day was um, that there there was some new snow. Um, it was fairly loose. And so it was just uh, cautioning folks against uh, wind-transported snow accumulations and that sort of thing. Um, Matt, so that, yeah, go ahead. Um, what, what time of year was this? And 
What was the average depth of the snowpack, you think? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, it was, I believe this was February, and the snowpack in that area um, was relatively thin. Um, I'd say it, it ranged from, uh, you know, five inches in protected areas through the trees to, you know, a couple feet up in higher elevations. Okay. So, yeah, relatively thin snowpack and um, relatively cold temperatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we drove out of Girdwood. Um, we parked at the trailhead and we started uh, skiing in. Um, b- before we started, we um, we did a beacon check, um, which, which I found is, you know, so, something that rarely happened in Lake Tahoe, um, but always happens here. Um, in, in my group in Alaska, um, we also opened our packs up and actually looked and made sure that we had, you know, shovels, probes, uh, food for the day, first aid kits, you know, ski repair kit, um, it, everything that we might need to be out for the day. Um, and once we went through that check, we headed out. Um, we had kind of a tough time gaining this ridge feature that we were going to ski off of. Um, like I said, the snowpack was really thin down below and, and we were skinning up through Devil's Club and Alder and, um, yeah, just, just kind of beating our way up. Um, when we finally got up a little higher, we, um, ended up, um, having to cross what is a, you know, a pretty regular natural avalanche path. Um, it's, it's very visible from the highway. It's obvious what it is. And so when we got into that area, we, um, you know, we poked and prodded around, talked about how we were going to cross it, um, and, and made the decision to cross it, uh, one at a time, plenty of space in between us with good, good visuals. Um, and what we found was that the snow in that avalanche chute was loose, but it was stable and, um, we, we just proceeded up it and onto the ridge with no incident. Um, and it, and it actually, it, we were excited because the snow was, it seemed like it was going to be really fun to ski. So, um, anyway, we, uh, we, we got up onto the ridge, um, and skinned up to the place where we felt we were above the, the shoots that we had been looking at and conditions on the ridge were, were still fairly, soft like we had encountered in the 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 abbey path there um the snow was a little bit thinner up on the top it had been scoured off a little but uh you know the wind was calm and beautiful day and um you know we, we weren't feeling any signs of instability as we skinned up um we actually skinned up um slightly on the the lee side of the ridge, um, which, which had a skinning, you know, above the chutes that we were hoping to ski. Um, yeah. And so we, uh, we got up to the top, we, we sort of checked the view. Um, we, we took our skins off, you know, got ready to go. We, we did kind of a second 
um, just double check uh, just to make sure transceivers were still on and working. And um, then we talked about uh, how we were going to ski these chutes. And um, I, I guess I was, I, I'm always kind of impressed here with that level of communication when we're skiing um, because it, it just seems, it seems sort of textbook and it seems like everybody's on the same page. There's, you know, nobody is, is questioning whether you should do that or not. It's just part of the program. And I really appreciate that. Um, so as we got ready to go, uh, my buddy and I kind of bannered back and forth about who was going to get to go first. Um, you know, he was, he was saying, oh, you should go first. Uh, you know, this is your first time on this peak. Um, I, I was saying, now you should go first. You know, you, you broke trail that last section. Um, and, and eventually, uh, I, I won out and uh, we decided that he'd go first. And right before he left, we, we both kind of paused at the same moment. And as we were looking at the slope, we could barely pick up that there was just a slight ripple on the surface of the, of the snow um, from the wind. And we both paused and, and looked at each other and said, you know, I, th I think we should ski cut this. And there, there was no disagreement at all. We, we both came to the same conclusion there, um, which was very fortunate. And so, uh, we talked about where the ski cut was going to go. Um, basically, um, we were going to cut the tops of these chutes um, to a ridge feature, and the ski cut was about 30 feet downslope from where we had just skinned up. And I don't think either of us was really expecting that we would find anything different there. And so, um, yeah, having, having discussed it, we my, my buddy took off, and as he left, I I had this strange, I, I don't know if it's like a sixth sense or a pre premonition or, or something like that. It, you know, when people say they have these things, I, I guess I'm a little bit of a skeptic. So it's, it's funny to hear myself saying it, but um, I felt this, this strange premonition. And so as he took off and the, the slope shattered underneath him, I actually had my hand on my beacon and was pulling it out of my jacket. And the slope just disintegrated um and he looked like he was doing pretty good for a while he was still making for the ridge feature that we had picked out and then um the snow kind of caught up with him and, and started to to take his tails downhill um he looked like he was going to go down with it but ended up fighting it and fighting it and fighting it and making it and the uh, avalanche um, ended up um, going down to the grass. It took the whole chute that we were going to ski, and it took the chute on either side. Um, it propagated across the entire slope. Um, I think we both just stood there for a minute in total shock as this thing rolled down the hill all the way to the bottom of the valley um, and you know, basically ended in a, in a huge powder blast at the bottom that we could hear and see and so that that was the near miss um what sort of dimensions are we talking here 
um, for, for depth of the crown. It sounds like that was a little bit of a wind loaded feature. Um, and then how yeah. far did it run yeah. you think? Yeah. So the depth of the crown was, um, probably it varied from, from, uh, you know, four inches to probably 24 inches, depending on where you were. Uh-huh. Um, you know, across it was probably, I'd say, three hundred four, three or four hundred yards across, mm-hmm. and then rolled down the slope. Um, I guess uh, fifteen hundred feet down the mountain. Yeah, sounds the, sounds like a very very sizable avalanche. It's pretty amazing how uh, connected those weak layers can be. You know, it sounds like connected. Uh, a few of those shoots on that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. So I get like, like I said, we, we both sort of just stopped and, um, I think we were just, you know, processing what had just happened. Um, we shouted back and forth to each other, you know, making sure that we were okay. And then my buddy, uh, turned around and, and came back up to where I was, um, visibly shaken. And, um, that left a pretty big impression on me because he's a, he's a guy with a lot of days under his belt up here. Um, a fellow guide. Um, he's, he's been in a lot of country up here. Um, I, I think, you know, initially what was shocking to us is, is that we had just skinned across the same slope, not 20 or 30 feet above, above where the crown line was. And, you know, in our poking and prodding with our poles and feeling the snow as we skied up, um, it, it seemed good. Uh, really, it was just the last-minute decision to ski cut that kept us from just dropping into these chutes and having a pretty big accident. Um, yeah, so we we sort of processed that on the top um, briefly, and and then decided that we would ski back down the way that we had skinned up, and um, I uh, I ended up taking the lead and. As I skied down the ridge, it was incredible how, it, you know, from the center line of the ridge, if I was if I was 30 feet to the side where the slide happened, um, I was getting shooting cracks and remotely triggering more slides. Um, if I was 30 feet the other way of center line, the snow was great. It was soft. It was stable. It was fun to ski. Um, but I felt that we really we didn't pick up on any of that as we came up the hill. And and then as we were going down, we were just tiptoeing down this thing, um, trying to stay center line of the ridge and trying to avoid this really unstable snowpack. Um, And and that was a big eye opener for both of us. Um, We ended up skiing out without incident. We had some great turns in the, in the soft snow on the way down. Um, but uh, ultimately made it back safely to the car um, and, and had a good long talk about it on the ride back. And, you know, there there was nothing that we could pinpoint that was like a, a mistake or a bad judgment that we had made. And, and I don't know, maybe you see one being, uh, being removed from the situation, but... Um, and even to this day, when we talk about it, we're we're still 
kind of thinking, you know, what, what could we have done differently or better to avoid that situation? And, and really the signs of an instability there were so subtle that, uh, I, I don't know if there wasn't a big glaring thing. It was really just the sort of, um, just going through the, the correct processes that, that kept us out of trouble, you know, sticking to the program of doing a ski cut, being aware of what the snow surface looks like and feels like, making sure you've got your, your transceiver and your shovel and your probe and they're all working and the more you can get to them and just uh, playing heads up ball, not getting complacent that uh yeah that kept us out of trouble so yeah so so you mentioned that you had your hand on your beacon as as your partner was about to make a ski cut did it go through your mind to to say stop you know let's let's talk about this some more or talk about that thought process that you had um because that's tough to listen to a lot of times especially when your skis are pointed downhill on a tasty looking slope from from what we had experienced skinning up the hill, um, you know there was there was no giant glaring red flags to us, um, and like I said, the only um, sign of a potential instability was the was the texture of the snow in those shoots, and um, you know we did stop before just dropping into these things and we acknowledged that we both saw that and we decided that the a good first step before just skiing right into them would be to ski cut them Mm -hmm. and um we we did talk about the, the route of the ski cut um you know we we felt like it was a safe line because it was so close to the skin track that we had just put in that you know we felt was a stable patch of snow and um it had a it ended in a good ridge feature that that looked like a a safer place and 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 so when he took off and i i kind of was reaching for my beacon i i I can't say what made me do that really Mm -hmm. but it, it definitely definitely happened something did yeah, so looking back, you know, those those are the questions that we have is uh you know, should should we just have uh, put more weight on something that we saw there or you know, was there something we missed? Did we make a bad decision, a hasty decision? I don't know. Yeah, it seems like your mindset has changed quite a bit from uh going from the Sierra up to Alaska. And, and you said in part, that's because of the different snowpack. How about terrain? You know, it's quite a bit bigger terrain features up there. Uh, does that have a, a part in your change in mindset? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The terrain is a lot bigger here. Um, it's, um, it's different in that there are, a lot of times we're skiing up where there are no trees. Um, yeah, it's, uh, and, and just the terrain 
here and, and just the varied weather patterns that come in, it's just a whole stew of of variables that uh, you've got to try to process when you go out. And um, yeah, I, I still, you know, I still don't feel like I totally have it wired. Um, so. Sure. But you know, it's not to say it's it's not fun. Right. It's, a, it's an awesome place to ski, and we've we've had some great days up here. Yeah. It seems like you know, thinking about your story, that was really the first sign of instability when you guys saw, you know, some different loading patterns and and rippled wind features on the slope that you were about to ski. So it can be, you know, it's not like it was glaring you in the face on the whole skin track up. Uh, it can be hard to listen to those that first sign, right, when there aren't many other signs staring you in the face. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a great story, Matt, and, and thanks for sharing sharing it with, with us. Are there – do you do things differently because of this incident now? Um, I, I guess I, I've just put even more weight on on all of those basic practices, um, just the, the transceiver checks, um, both as, as you start out on the skin track and – you know, really, any time that you've taken a, a long enough pause where where people might be changing layers, or you know, there's a chance that a transceiver could get taken off and thrown in a pack, or turned off, or something like that. Um, also, just um, you know, having everybody just actually pull out their their probes and their shovels and actually looking at them and just making sure that they're in working order and you know that somebody hasn't forgotten a handle a shovel handle or you know, something like that um, and just trying to talk about your route as you skin up the mountain and then as you decide what or if you're going to ski it so yeah I've just put more more weight on that I've tried not to let this one incident sort of keep me out of the backcountry because that's, you know, that's definitely a, a question for me. I've got three kids and I'm their, you know, our only source of income and the stakes are high if something happens to me. So, but, but I also, you know, I really love this sport and like to keep doing it and sharing it with them. So yeah, I guess I'm just trying to find ways to keep doing it. Um, in a safe way and still have fun. Sure. Well, it sounds like you got a great attitude about it and, and took this learning opportunity to heart and have folded it into your, in, into your mindset, which is really important. It's all you can do, right? Well, I, I think so. I mean, I, I'm always open to, talking to other people about what they do and how they approach things. You know, I think you can never stop really learning about terrain and snowpacks and just learning from other people how they do it. Just got to kind of stay humble and ask questions and keep your mind open. So 
yeah, that was a good, it was a good experience. It was, I feel fortunate that it, nothing bad happened to us and that we're able to sort of walk away and learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing today, Matt, and, and I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Yeah, thank you, Caleb. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, cheers. Thanks again for sharing your story. Music today was performed by So Down and Broke for Free. Made possible through the permission of the artists or through the Creative Commons license and found at freemusicarchive.com. Thanks to Mike T for our artwork. Couldn't make this show possible without our sponsors, TAS Gazex, Black Diamond Peeps, and Ten Barrel Brewing. Don't forget, I will be donating the profits from all merchandise sold on my website through April to protect our winters. Go check it out, and while you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Tune in next time on March 1st when we share a great interview with Lynn Wolf, the magician behind the curtain of the Avalanche Review publication. Until then, stay tuned, stay safe, and keep having fun out there.